James is the Executive General Manager of the Menzies Research Centre. He has been involved in government and politics for 25 years, joining the Australian Liberal Party at age 17. He went on to serve the Howard government for six years, including in the Prime Minister's office. We will be talking with him about the emergence of grassroots politics and how it plays such a key role in national issues. Tim James, welcome to Cross Pacific Conversation. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me along. Well, Tim... Uh, you mentioned over coffee that you have some American connections that are pretty deep. What are they? Well, thanks for asking, Ed. And, and I do, and I'm I'm, I'm very much uh, proud of my family, my, my heritage, you know, the history of... Uh, it's on my mother's side. So uh, I am the grandson of a US serviceman who came to Australia for the Second World War and met my grandmother, an Australian nurse and... They fell in love. Mum, my mum was the eldest of five daughters, uh, born born in Brisbane uh, just before the end of the war, and uh, and then uh, was raised in America. And so I've got a big American family, lots of aunts and uncles and cousins. And uh, yeah, I'm really proud of my my U.S. connections. Well, we want to um, talk a bit about those U.S. connections because these are grassroots people in the United States that you know. And you've done a lot of grassroots uh, work here, including with me and our local community on issues. But grassroots really exploded in the United States on January the 6th. People from all over the United States, firemen, policemen, uh, the kind of what we call, what Howard called them, the little people or the... Uh, the guys who... Uh, I think Howard called them the battlers. The battlers. The battlers came to battle and take over the country. Uh, so we want to talk a bit about how those that level of politics shapes national politics on both sides of the Pacific. Uh, Tim, how does your institute and the kind of work you do uh, reflect local politics at the national level? Yeah, so the Menzies Research Centre is the Liberal Party's affiliated think tank, and we've been around for 25 years. And our role is to research and develop and advocate good public policy that will serve our party, but but obviously most of all serve our country. Now, um, as to grassroots, I mean, I think this is um, part of the challenge that we all face today in this busy, you know, modern 24-hour news cycle-driven world is how how do you keep in touch with... Uh, you know the ordinary man or woman on the street, the the, the grassroots, those who are, as they say, at the at the coal face, and and that's a big challenge. And we're a we're a small think tank of, of four people. So um, I mean, in the end, we we are informed, of course, from a range of different sources. You know, party leadership, government leadership, our principles, of course, Menzian principles driving um, our, our stance and and outlook. But it, but importantly, we're also a um, uh, an organisation driven by people in as much as we rely on people to be our, our subscribers, our donors, to come to our events, to, to purchase books. And so we, we think we've got a pretty good read on what it is that our constituency, if I can put it that way, is is seeking from us and, and hoping for us to achieve. How, but how do you get that? Because if you think of the Brookings Institution in the United States or the various other think tanks, uh, uh, national leadership think tanks, the Federalists, and so on. I read their pamphlets, but they never mention the man on the street. They may have gotten their information there, but it doesn't come through. How do you really tap into that local 
need and interest. Yeah, look, I think it's it's difficult. As I say, it's a challenge. In the end, it just comes down to listening. And obviously, you know, being... What are uh, those tools for listening to you? Do you run surveys? How do you get it? Yeah, we do. So early last year, we ran a membership survey, and we're about to do another one uh, soon enough. And, and that goes to questions of... Uh, what issues people uh, would like to see us pursue that that won't decide you know our agenda but but we want to genuinely consult and um, what kind of uh, means of communication I mean we all I think uh, live in the uh, world in which we are sort of almost over informed uh, but you know we have a weekly uh, newsletter obviously social media though our Facebook page has just been taken down but that's another um, discussion uh, oh, that's another show <laughs> yeah. you're not alone there Tim no you're not well, alone quite, quite right <laughs> we've been taken down too but yeah. keep going so so look uh, it comes back to listening and and obviously talking and you know I mean we we seek to run uh, last year was rather more difficult for obvious reasons but we seek to run events in each capital city uh, each year around the country you know where where our office is in Sydney we have an office in Canberra and a small office in Melbourne, but but you know our, our friends in Perth, in Tassie and elsewhere, we we want to be amongst them and we want to be listening to them and and having a drink and a chat with them and and so we seek to every year make make the time to do just that. Do you, in terms of when you started in politics, do you feel now? I'm you started in '93. You you joined the Liberal Party yes. and that was I from memory John Hewson. Mm, the year was, of the so-called unlosable election. Yes, mm. yes, John Hewson and fight back. Yes, um, and so then you also saw the tradition, the the transition from John Hewson as opposition leader to a, a different John, mm. uh, the former Treasurer John Howard, who yeah. then became uh, Prime Minister in in '96. Yeah, how did you see a shift away from? Uh, traditional, I guess, conservative politics into, uh, I guess, what John, what John Howard pioneered in terms of talking to the grassroots and talking to the battlers, as he called them. Yeah, great, great question. And and actually, I've been thinking about this in recent times because uh, very shortly on the second of March this year, we will mark twenty five years since the election of the Howard government. It was the second of March. 1996, and 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 you're right. That there was quite a significant shift in a number of ways. I think in terms of how uh, the coalition campaigned, the the John Howard persona, obviously you know policies put forward, and I, I well remember that campaign. I, I always um, recall the the campaign slogan was for all of us, and you might recall there was a song, there was an ad. I mean, you know, uh, political campaign advertising was maybe a little bit different. Uh, back then, but but the campaign song went like this: you know, for all of us, uh, not just for one, not just for some, uh, for all of us. Mm-hmm. And 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 in a sense, that was what obviously the coalition was seeking to to convey was that they wanted to uh, bring the country together, uh, take the country forward. Um, as John Howard said, he wanted a a, a comfortable, uh, confident, uh, more relaxed. Australia that uh, knew its place in the world and and was at ease uh, with that and um, I think Howard I mean having worked for him I think I can I can comment you know he he really actually did love to get out and talk to people and he was very comfortable and very happy and and would relish the opportunity to get out onto the streets of Eastwood or Epping or other parts of Benelong you know where I had the pleasure of working for him to talk to people and and I think you know that's that th- those conversations are precious now you know to what extent these days they're quality conversations because you've got a you know media pack and everyone's sort of under the spotlight and but uh, so even on. in covid uh Biden that was his strategy remember he went out 
and drive-ins and so on, and had conversations with the people, not slogans, not rants, but conversations, and still doing that. And Bill Clinton really pioneered that in the 90s. He did that. That sort of grassroots politics. That kind of grassroots. Oh, grassroots campaigning, I should say. Do you think this kind of grassroots campaigning, not cultism, uh, can come back? Or will there be all those special interests that kind of dominate the scene? Yeah, I I think it is still there. It's just that we now have a more uh, fast, data-driven, sophisticated means of campaigning. I mean, the the way in which a party Mm. or candidate can... Uh, use tools and technology in order to target, you know, segments or people or families or certain parts of their communities is really quite extraordinary these days. But I, I, I still say this to anyone in politics: there is no substitute for walking the streets and knocking on people's front doors. And all right, all right. The, I agree with that. You started at seventeen. Now, when we walk the streets around Mosman High School, we don't find many kids interested in joining the Liberal Party or the Labor Party or any of that. But you and I both, I started at 21, you at 17. Mm. Uh, I was president of the Parent Teachers Association. Didn't have any kids at the school. But that was my way, my uncle said. If you're ever going to Congress, you start here. Is that still true? Oh, I think I think that's right. I mean, you've you've got to, from a young age, feel a sense of uh, service of, of of dedication to you know causes. Obviously, you know beyond yourself. In in a lot of ways, you know, it's 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 making. I mean, pub, public life is a career that goes well beyond the the bounds of a of a normal career. And 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 in the end, you you've got to be driven by um, a sense of um, the concerns of others. Uh, you, you need to not obviously sort of see everything through the prism of your own life and, and your own experience. Of course, we all do to some degree. But in the end, it's it is service. It is public service, and uh, that is your job is to facilitate. Um, those those concerns and those issues and priorities of those people, and to to listen to them, to consult with them, to 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 address their problems, and to put forward options to make their lives better. Let me put forward a, a notion that I've heard some kids talking about. Those old guys don't know what they're talking about, and it doesn't do any good to involve ourselves with them because they're really off the planet. Uh, they they're talking with their thumbs now. Uh, we're not engaged in that conversation. When I was 21 and you were 17, we talked to people who were 50. There's a little group inside, groupthink among young people that's disengaging with national politics, I think. Do you feel the same? Yeah, and I, well, it isn't necessarily just young people either, Ed. I, you know, I think, um, and there's a range of reasons for this, whether it's the rise of social media or, or a more kind of... Um, disintermediated media landscape, um, you know, you, you can see the sort of growing um, tribalism, uh, you know, we, we all kind of hear the arguments about, well, how much is, is a particular platform um, a genuine vehicle for debate and discussion and different points of view, or how much of it, of it in fact, might be some kind of echo chamber. Mm. And it's, it's a different world today. I mean, back in uh, Mossman, in... Um, February of 1945, when Robert Menzies was setting up the Liberal Party, he came and addressed, this was one of the very earliest meetings of 
the Liberal Party anywhere around Australia. And, and he addressed a gathering at Mossman Town Hall and it was, you know, advertised and people were encouraged to come along and listen to Bob Menzies. And there were, I'm told, uh, history records about 2,000 people wow. who came along. And, and that was mm-hmm. that was kind of the norm back then, you know, these big town hall meetings, people... Kind of Abraham uh, Lincoln, Douglas. Yeah. And, and now uh, you tend not to see so much of that these days. Politics is... Uh, without wanting to be cynical about it, it tends to be a little more uh, scripted, controlled, tightly, tightly held. Yeah. You know, it, it's not it's not what it used to be. But I do sometimes wonder, and this is going to sound a bit old fashioned, but you know, if you or, or me or any one of us Ed, were to you know book the Mossman Town Hall today mm. and say to our community, we're going to come along and talk about our vision for our community and our country. I wonder how many people would actually come. Well, probably you, me, and one other person. <laughs> Our families. <laughs> Our families. What about me? Oh, oh Or well, I fall into the uh, young millennial that wouldn't show up, hey? No, I don't know if you would or <laughs> would not, but uh, you might be there for the radio station. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I wouldn't miss out on that opportunity. No. Yeah. But, but, but let's go back to that. Um, how do you reawaken the roots and not change them into a cult yeah how do you how do you cut through you know to to talk and listen and and really understand ordinary people well i I think you do it through um uh, civil society through family through community clubs you know societies obviously sport in our country is a you know big way that we we bring people together and uh but even there don't kneel yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, I mean, yeah, look, I mean, there's politics everywhere, right? Or um, on Facebook, don't say the wrong thing yes. if you're an athlete. Yeah, yeah. But but I think, um, I mean, if you have a quality interaction with people, and that's much more likely to happen, right, you know, at, mm-hmm. let's say, your local club of Mossman Rowers, for example, mm-hmm. Ed, because I know that's a place dear to both of us, um, you're much more likely to, you know, have a a valuable, thoughtful, meaningful conversation, you know, over a drink at your local club, then you are like tic-tacking on Twitter or, or Facebook or some other platform or, or, or even on your, your your mobile. It's it's about the sort of quality and depth and substance of those engagements. And look, you know, we're all busy people these days, but I think you've you've really got to make the time and, and you've got to be willing to do it and you've got to want to do it. Well, well now you're in a particular position where that's part of your responsibility but I dare say I haven't seen my local member dropping in at the club, uh, only scripted meetings. How is that going to inspire a kid at the local high school to become a local member? Because that's where it starts, isn't it, in the United States and here? How do we get that civic energy away from personal, stylistic things that... Uh, you are fill in the blank. You can do code better than anybody else. And these these are things that take young people's energy. But if we're going to start the democracy, get it back to what we saw, Menzies, et cetera, mm. how do we do that? Well, look, I think, I mean, you've got to have some courage. For, you've got to be willing to um, put yourself out there. You've got to sort of get out of your comfort zone. I think you've got to be not so, you know, controlled and scripted and tightly stage managed and and you've got to be willing to have the hard conversation when you say you i know you do this but how do you get a kid locally to come along with you doing this yeah that's um that's a great question ed because that's a question this platform's in the united states and here you're talking from this side 
and some of your listeners are going to be in Iowa. Well, you know what? I think you've got to bring it back to first principles, right? I mean, in the end, we're all human. We're all real. We all mm-hmm. want to feel a sense of uh, inspiration, of, of of direction, of you know, of reason, you know, to to, to get out, to, to to care, you know, to to have regard to our democracy. I mean, I, one of the concerns I have about you know our country, and I think this is true in the states as well, is just the sort of level of apathy or, or people kind of put it in the too hard basket. But in the end, our democracy is only as good as we, the people, are going to be prepared to make it. But it's up to us. Don't you think as well that, that that apathy has come from the fact that, I mean, I know for some people it's just one big headache. It's a lot of people shouting at each other from one end of the corridor to the next. Yeah. And that's not really enticing for a lot of people. Maybe for, you know, um, those of us who are on the debating team or society at, at sure. school and you know, always sort of had that in them. But there's a lot of people that that is just a, a big turn off to. There's a loss of respect, I think, that's that's come with uh, public conversation uh, in the public dialogue. Couldn't agree more. So someone who, who I think is doing a really nice job of, of tackling this challenge is uh, our former Deputy Prime Minister, John Anderson, who is, is saying to the world, we are not going to find good policies and good solutions in a bad debate. If, if we, he's mm-hmm. essentially saying we've got to be able to have civil discussions and civil debates in order to, you know, take ourselves forward. And so he's he's trying to encourage people to, you know, listen to podcasts, which is clearly a very good thing to do. But but to you know to come along to events to be to be thoughtful to be to be well read uh, to engage in you know events and and I guess really to sort of put the participation back into our participative democracy. If mm. if our democracy is kind of, you know, quiet and um, people tend to, you know, want to stay at home and just, you know, just get punch in 140 characters, yeah. then we're not mm. going to have the sort of quality of engagement that I think we need. Yeah, one of the things I'm concerned about is between elections, people are not being excited. Now, African Americans got very excited in the last election. But that won't last unless there's something almost every week, every day, to ensure that people feel that the democracy's there. How would you go about that? Because I think that's the street you're going down now. Well, well, I think, again, I, I would come back to that great quote from Tip O'Neill many, many years ago, which John Howard and others themselves employed, and that is that all politics is local. So we all live somewhere, right? We're all part of a community. You know, lots of people have kids in local schools or they rely on local facilities, hospitals, libraries, you know, you name it. And we all, much as we might kind of, you know, admit it or or, or do something about it, we all actually want those communities to be as strong as can be mm. and and for us to be included you know for us to be heard for for us to seek to fulfill our potential I, I think that is our kind of natural human instinct is to seek to advance our condition and uh, and so getting people involved at the local level again all politics is local it's one of the best places you can start and so it's you know it's, again it's clubs mm. societies local local groups yeah one of the things uh, I've been here over 20 years, and Tim and I are involved in the same club. And every Friday, we have reshaped the world at that club. But there are new people who come into the group and out of the group, and they have children and grandchildren and the like. My fear is we're not getting younger. 
And that kind of conversation, that kind of discourse has to start with people in their 20s and 30s now. And they're not coming to our clubs. I would point out that they might not be coming to your clubs, but they might be going to or starting their own. That's great. You know, I think I, I actually do see a lot of young people that are very much engaged mm. within politics, but it might not be within the traditional parties. Yeah, sure. So Which, how do we tap that? Well, I think it comes back to issues. And I think, you know, you, you referenced as well, um, you know, the John Howard for all of us uh, campaign slogan. But I think that's actually, and I think it's really relevant to the United States as it is here in Australia. Mm. I think that really does actually genuinely need, need to mean for all of us. Mm. So uh, not just those of us that look like the other, but, you know, we're a very multicultural society, this country, so is the United States. And I think especially I'm seeing with younger, the younger generation, they want a society that really represents that and they want a, a government that really represents that and, and leadership that does. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think they also want to be part of a country and a society that, um, that has confidence, that isn't always, you know, questioning itself or, or sort mm-hmm. of seeking to challenge its own history. Of course, you know, we must learn the lessons of history, but, you know, people want to feel part of um, a a group, a society, a, a country that is is confident, uh, that can be decisive, that, that knows who it is, that mm-hmm. has a, a, a strong culture and, and one that is obviously engaging and unifying. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes it's easy in this world to focus on the, you know, those things that divide us. You know, Howard always said um, that when we focus on what unites us, Rather than what divides us, we are always stronger together, and 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 that is absolutely. I think Joe so. Biden said something like that. Yeah, I'm sure he probably did, and and probably Obama likewise, and mm. and it's such a kind of simple thing to say, right? But but it's easy in this day and age to get kind of focused on the negatives, the the, the points of division or tension or difference. Uh, and actually to to not put into enough perspective that, that we do have a lot of good and a lot of um, uh, goodwill and people coming together and a lot of service and a lot of dedication to people and country and community. Well, let's build on this. Um, the idea and the grassroots start at 6 to, you know, 96. Every one of those levels has a place to be. And if we can get these discourses about what would make a great society, not as tribes, but as groups, mm-hmm. we can go someplace. Uh, and we need to start that in the schools uh, so that young people... Right now, in both countries, you start a conversation about anything that sounds semi-political and they shut it right down. Correct. Suffocating. You, you can't even wear some colors to school. Red, wear a red t-shirt and mm-hmm. the teachers might ask you to go home. Yep. Or a blue one. Uh, that's sending the wrong message, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Look, absolutely. I mean, our, our whole civilization, our, our world today in, here in the Western world was essentially founded upon fundamental freedoms. You know, freedom of speech, freedom of thought, Freedom of association, freedom of belief, but but all of these freedoms are under some challenge at the present time, uh, from a range of different quarters, and 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 yet they are the essential building blocks for having the sort of civil discourse, the discussion, the willingness to listen, to respect, 
to understand mm-hmm. one another, to, to, to have people showing empathy for one another. If we're not free to, to talk and think mm-hmm. and debate as, as we might think, then, then, then we, we, are, we are reining in that space, that capacity that really needs to be there for us to solve the problems of today. How, how do you think, uh, how do you feel that we're under threat or those freedoms are under threat, as you say? Oh, well, I mean, there's, whether it's in terms of, you know, process, so, so, so obviously a hot one at, at, at the moment is the extent to which, you know, there is a level of um, censorship on, on, on platforms, you know, social media or, or indeed mainstream media or, or, or otherwise. And, I mean, free speech is not boundless, but... Um, we've got to be extremely careful yeah. not to be deplatforming or, or, or censoring or cancelling uh, people or institutions mm. just because people don't share their politics or their point of view. But does it also not go back to what we were talking about, and that's about having a respectful dialogue and conversation with each other? Now, there are, in terms of censorship, I wouldn't exactly call it censorship that, that's happening, but I think there is more of a focus now on actually being respectful and not not putting out opinions and viewpoints that are actually quite offensive to uh, one you know one part of society or as you know as I referenced the many cultures that make us up. I think freedom of speech should always be encouraged, but I don't think it should encompass uh, any sort of racism or sexism. And I think it's quite right for that to be called out um, because I don't think that really is constructive towards a inclusive society. Well, that just drives people apart rather than mm. bringing them together. And, mis- and also misinformation. I mean, yes, if we're yes. talking about uh, looking at what's happening at the moment with, uh, with Donald Trump and then we've got Craig Kelly and George Christensen here uh, mm-hmm. with... And vaccine With health and, and yeah, all that sort of the Pete Evans. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, that, that does present a danger in a sense. Would you not agree? Yeah, I think there are inherent dangers in um, people uh, being overly inflammatory or, you know, getting carried away. But but I do say this, and I, I said this recently on, on, on national television, I think the law has got free speech pretty much right. So the current mm-hmm. law essentially says this, you are free to speak uh, your mind up to the point where you are starting to uh, threaten or intimidate or harass someone. Mm-hmm. So, so my view is, unless you are doing those things, I think you should be pretty free to speak. Sure, you can be say I don't mm-hmm. care for vaccinations, but not that you shouldn't get one. Sure. So I think that is free speech. But we're coming <clears throat> kind of to the end of this. What are lessons for the United States and Australia? We're both on the edge now in terms of community information and the like. One of the things we had in the State Department that I would love to see again is young people from various countries visiting what is called the Young Leaders Program. Uh, These were young people first and second year of uni came to the United States and went to Iowa and Pittsburgh. And sure, they had a trip, stopped over in New York, but the United States is not New York City. It's Pittsburgh. It's Wichita. Yeah, yeah. And here it's Dubbo. Yeah, I think actually... It's not Canberra. I think people... For one example. Dubbo's one, one example. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no... Uh, there's, there's nothing better, really, than, than, than being able to, as, as I've had the pleasure of doing, you know, getting out to parts of America that are not Hollywood and not the Big Apple, but 
but where you know you can understand uh, ordinary communities, and and they're not ordinary. Most of the time, they are extraordinary. But but to be able to kind of see the real world as it as yeah. it were, and 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 vice versa, I think for Americans to come to Australia too, and 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 when that happens, when people do that. And they do perhaps more than we realise today, but I still think there's plenty of room to do it some more. I think they do actually realise that our countries have a lot in common. We we are good, strong, open democracies. Yes, uh, there are challenges and pressures upon us, but, but, you know, if we focus on what unites us and we don't take for granted what we have, you know, we are in very good shape. I, I still think these two nations more than anywhere else in the world uh, are the countries where more people from across this earth would love to come and set up their lives and raise a family and set up a business. And and that's got to be a pretty surefire test. There's certainly a lot of truth in that. Absolutely. Tim James, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. It was great to chat. Thank you. Thanks so much. (laughs) If you enjoyed what you heard from this episode of Pacific Conversations, make sure to subscribe wherever you find the podcast and even drop it a review if you're feeling generous. Check out the website as well, edtalks.com.au for information on upcoming chats and for Ed's other podcast, US of Ed, with myself, Sean Britton, regarding weekly US news and current affairs.